2: Welcome in. This is going to be a good one. Welcome. They're all good. Episode 13 of UAP, the Unidentified Alien podcast. Stephen Diener right here. Karen Curtis over there. Glad you can join us again here on another alien adventure as we go on every single week here on UAP. It's uh, This is going to be a doozy, Karen. I mean, we, we really have a lot of stuff here today.
1: I'm a news person.
2: Yes, you are. And-
1: I'm starting to believe this crap. Oh, good. I mean, like, <laughs> after you hear today's show, if you're not like me, because I need empirical knowledge and I need to like be able to see the facts.
2: Right, sure.
1: And, and that's fine. And I need fine. to be able to hear from people who you know seem to be credible.
2: <laughs> right, right. I don't want
1: to be I don't want it to be according to Steven's sources.
2: That's right. According to Steven's
1: <laughs> own reporting.
2: <laughs> according to my own opinions and my you own thoughts. This <laughs> is
1: uh this is some pretty revealing evidence that we're going to give you.
2: Yeah, because what I when we were talking last week on episode 12, it kind of hit me midstream, if you will, mid the thought process that, man, you know, there's so much that has happened just in the state of California alone. And I thought, well, let's dedicate a whole episode just to California. So that's what we're going to do here today. Call it Weird California, if you will, because (laughs) there is really throughout the past, I guess you can say 80 years, there's Different documented events, and there's a lot, and we're only going to get to a few of them today, but there's all these documented events that kind of make you scratch your head of what did people see, what really happened, what are the answers here?
1: Actually, we're going back to the turn of the century, Stephen, and I'm not talking about the year 2000.
2: Oh, okay. So we're going way back. Yes. In the way back machine. In
1: the way back machine. Okay. There's some people still alive, I think, from, no, that's not possible.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Not anymore. Not anymore. But yeah.
1: so we're going to start off with Triangle Alley.
2: Yeah, this is interesting because this isn't something you hear about a lot. You know, you always hear about, you know, Tornado Alley if you're yeah, talking about, yeah. to talk about alleys. And hey, when you
1: hear about the B- Bermuda Triangle, right. some weird crap happens there. People lose all of their instrumentation and, I don't know, something strange man- magnetically goes on. But this is about flying triangles and this is well before... The stealth bomber was ever created. So, I mean, this is like there's 60 reported sightings of triangle UFOs since the year 2000.
2: So this triangle alley goes from up to central Oregon, down through uh, parts of Nevada and um, Cal- mostly most of California. And they call it triangle alley because it's where, like you said, Karen, a lot of sightings happen of these triangle uh, UFOs, UAPs, and most famously, or one of the most famous, something we talked about in a previous episode, the lights over Phoenix. That's right. Where they saw, you know, the giant triangle UFO. Of course, we covered that extensively but in one of the previous in episodes. That's not
1: part of. Is that part of Triangle Alley? I think
2: it's just outside. Okay. So, even with that, you know, that's, but that's a good example of of the kind of triangle UFO that people report. Now, that was an extreme case because it happened over a big city, and it was reported to be absolutely massive. Which, by the way, if you want to hear that or any other previous episode, you can go to 850WFTL.com, search UAP. We have the whole blog there of pictures as well. Supporting of things
1: photographic evidence.
2: Yeah, everything we've talked about in the different episodes. And, of course, you can always go back to Apple and Spotify or anywhere you get podcasts. To find previous episodes, because this is number thirteen now. So if you're just joining us, there's Man. been a lot that you missed.
1: <laughs> time flies. We have lost time. Yes, we do. Uh, but what's interesting? Aliens and UFOs, and what are the what are the fujis
2: or what? Are oh, uh, foo fighters. Foo fighters. Yes, as they used to call them during uh, World War II.
1: So there's a lot of acronyms here, and there's one MUFON. What is that? Not MUFON.org, but what is it?
2: Uh, the Mutual Stanford? UFO Network, okay. and basically what they do is they're an investigative team. Uh, nationwide, and they go and they investigate these claims wherever they happen. Um, if it's going to be BS, if it's going to be garbage, if it's easily explained, or if it ends up being in the unidentified files, if you will.
1: Uh, well, the MUFON Northern California State Director, you're going to hear from him. He's been researching the history of UFOs, but now they're called UAPs after the government came out recently mm-hmm. and with their report and said that, huh, these things are real. So he says that he has documented in that area, and he's developed a comprehensive database for all of these UAPs, and here he is.
3: We've been getting so many reports of, of sightings, um, an increased spike of triangles especially. We consider it like an intersection to what we call Triangle Alley, which is from Southern California all the way up to the Washington border. Nevada's right next door. We have Area 51, which is approximately 260 miles away. Taunapal Air Force Base, another black budget base, possibly 200 miles away.
1: Yeah, and that was basically mm-hmm. what you described. And he's talking about some really bizarre sightings near Corning, California. Do you know where Corning, California is? I
2: cannot say that I do. Well,
1: it's <laughs> it's a city in the Tehama County. Okay. Tayama, Tehama, T E H A M A. I didn't bring my Florida to California dictionary. (laughs) (laughs) It's located about 90 miles south of Red Bluff and 100 miles north of the state capital, which is, Stephen Diener?
2: Uh, uh, Contrary to popular belief, it is Sacramento. That's right. Yes.
1: (laughs) Someone were like, oh, it's L.A. No, it's San Francisco. No, it's Sacramento. That's right. So um, he says that there were like three lights that remained in a rigid configuration. They could have been separate, but they weren't. Right. So he's describing this, you know, it's silent and suddenly it took off and uh, they think there's a link to all of these sightings in the Triangle Alley. And here's what, I didn't get his name because I couldn't pronounce it. That's
3: right. He's the guy from MUFON.
1: That's (laughs) right. The the MUFON guy.
3: (laughs) Here's a triangle. Now, this is 1986 before they released the B-2 bomber. Obviously, the characteristics are a lot different. They're huge. Uh, this thing went right over a freeway, four lanes in width. What's ah. really interesting is this thing was just hovering. And the witnesses actually observe in detail, as you can see, uh, over half an hour.
1: This reminds me of the Lights Over Phoenix.
3: Yes. I, all the same characteristics that we keep hearing about, you know, they're large, they're silent. They make no sound whatsoever. Lights around the perimeter. The lights illuminated the object. Major light in the center. Mm-hmm. Lit up as bright as day.
4: When you compare planes to this, when you compare helicopters to this, they look, they behave entirely differently.
3: Sounds like five
2: Symington. Maybe it was, yes.
1: <laughs> From Phoenix, the governor of Arizona. Wasn't he the governor? Yeah, he went. Yeah, he was, yeah thing over Phoenix so yeah absolutely weird stuff
2: and that's the thing too and and it's funny when you hear them say um, you know it it could all be connected that's been one of the long-standing theories with a lot of these things is is it random is it something that... Yeah,
1: what's connecting all of these?
2: You know, this this being or this craft knows what this craft is doing in Arizona as opposed to California, as opposed to Pennsylvania, Florida. You know, wh- what is happening and how many different crafts do you have? Is it the same craft that's being seen over Phoenix that's well, now being seen California? some of are different shapes. They're shaped
1: like a tic-tac or right. a triangle or... A disk. I mean, maybe they're coming from different worlds.
2: Actually, we have all the shapes today. You mentioned... Yes, you're
1: right. (laughs) Yes. We're talking about triangles now, which is really interesting. I mean, according to this MUFON guy, this has Mm -hmm. been happening since like the
3: 1800s. goes back probably in the the great airship sightings back in 1896, 1897, from San Francisco to Sacramento, all the way to Stockton, around the general vicinity. There was reports from miners that were working at seeing strange objects, strange stars... How about that? I mean, and again... And it was Venus. Yeah, sure. Yeah, the light reflecting of swamp
2: gas. It was swamp gas, Karen. Swamp gas. <laughs> it's <laughs> always I my favorite. I was nowhere near there. Yes, that's right. So it, it it is something that when you think about dating back to the 1800s... Now, of course, there's the ancient aliens, which we talked about in previous episodes as well. But if you're talking modern times, if you will... This is something that was reported in newspapers. They had actual news stories. If you look back at the late 1800s, this stuff is in newspapers. You have eyewitness accounts. Nobody was made fun of. Nobody no. was ridiculed. There was no pointing fingers. Oh, you believe in those little green men? You know, there was nothing. There was. These were normal people who were reporting to reporters who were reporting on news. And it was, it was taken that way. Of course, things have changed over the years. But now, again, we're starting to get back into, you know, I guess that cycle of people starting to take these things a little bit more seriously now.
1: Well, that the government came out with their latest report. Mm-hmm. What did they, they said that there are 150 sightings that we can't explain?
2: Yeah, and they only went back to 2004, which was when the Nimitz had their, uh, their, their, I guess you could say happening. <laughs> if, oh,
1: we're going to talk about that. Yes, and that'll
2: come up later we're as well. Hear from
1: a pilot, but the MUFON guy, you know, he's been researching the history of UFOs, and he also has developed his comprehensive database. But I mean, this is so strange. According to the nonprofit National UFO Reporting Center, did you know that existed?
2: I actually didn't. <laughs>
1: yeah, the nonprofit UFO reporting—they have there are roughly five thousand UFO sightings reported each year in Triangle Alley.
2: Just in that one part of the country. Yes. And now, of course, look—I'm all about uh, statistics and things like that. Five thousand of those out of four thousand—they're probably easily explainable.
1: Well, it's from a group of people in the city of Fresno who serve as sky watchers. And all they do is sit outside for hours watching the sky for anything out of the ordinary. Boy, that so,
2: m- man, that must make your neck hurt. You Jeez. <laughs> I just, Jeez. I just imagine myself sitting on my front porch looking up at the sky. Maybe a they're in my lying neck. on
1: the ground.
2: Maybe. I hope so, for their sake. And look, I'm, some people mistake. Now we have different satellites flying over. Oh, you, yeah. You oh, know, my you, gosh. You have the, the, the ISS. Right. And I've, I've actually seen the space station fly over before. So it's that can be mistaken as you know an alien craft because it's this steady light that's going across the sky pretty fast like what the heck is that thing yeah, i mean
1: the planet venus is the number one mistake in U- ufo
2: right and which i still don't understand how I know, but...
1: <laughs> it's a planet hello <laughs>
2: hello but no there are you know there's the new uh you know, Elon Musk satellites that are up that's there now. Right.
1: That's right. Oh my God, What sixty thousand of them?
2: Right, and some people have mistaken those for UFOs, UIPs. There's China's videos of those. China's building
1: a space station.
2: Yeah, so there's different things that can be explained as to it's not otherworldly. But then you have the small number. Let's say five hundred out of the five thousand. which yeah, I you think know, that's fair. Percentage wise, isn't is small, but really five hundred unexplained sightings. That's a pretty good clip. And I could probably say that's about the number. 500 out of 5,000 go unexplained. Yeah. Unidentified. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place. Like Texas.
1: You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Well, there was the Big Sur Missile Test. This was in 1964. I was two. Oh, okay. Very nice. You weren't even born. Fair enough. Um, But (laughs) apparently there was a cover-up at Vandenberg Air Force Base because... A missile was shot down by UFO. Did you know this?
2: Yeah. So this is a wild story. And you know, moving on here to another uh, happening in California, of course, Triangle Alley. There, we, we just covered. And this one go like you said, Karen, goes back to 1964. We always hear about these things happening with missile tests. I mean, or just military bases, nuclear bases, whatever it is.
1: Well, remember Shirley McLean, who has kind of a, her finger on the pulse of all things. Otherworldly. Otherworldly. <laughs> yes, I was gonna say crazy, but um, <laughs> but she believes that it, these beings don't want us messing around with nuclear power that because if we blow ourselves up it will affect the sp- it'll affect the universe.
2: It's a domino effect and, and they, look,
1: they want us to be careful.
2: Yeah, and you know that's been a running theory for a lot of people for a long time because especially in the 60s look you remember again another refer back to a previous episode the Malmstrom Air Force Base right. where oh. these UFOs these UAPs hovered over Malmstrom Air Force Base in big sky country up there Montana Wyoming I always forget where it is. And they, Montana. Sh- Montana, right? And they shut down the the base. Essentially, I mean, they 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 disarmed the nuclear missiles. Nothing would work, and it was down for what a couple of days. I yeah, think for
1: like twenty four hours.
2: So you know, again, you can listen back to that previous episode. But there's so many instances. The Soy for A First Spaceman, Another thing we covered that connected to a uh, IC IC intercontinental ICBM. ICBM <laughs> I had to say the whole thing: ballistic missile. That uh, England was going to be testing in a secret base in Australia. Uh-huh. And so, you know, you have all these different happenings, and there's so many more. Of course, the Nimitz, which we're going to talk about later, was, you know, a submarine with nuclear capabilities. So you no, have. Oh, aircraft
1: carrier. Right,
2: right. then aircraft 15 carrier.
1: $15 billion dollar aircraft yes. carrier with a the most advanced radar system in the world.
2: Yeah, so there's that. So these are all things that connect. You talk about what connects and what doesn't. These are all things that connect throughout history, throughout time, over the years where these these crafts are always showing up in places that have to do with weapons. Right. You know? And this is another one.
1: They're witnessed by full-on full-fledged military flight pilots. This guy is a lieutenant USAF Lieutenant retired Robert Jacobs.
2: Yeah, and his job, I guess, was he was kind of like a photographer during these launches. Again, That's right. This was 1964, you know, the Cold War. The, the, you're doing some of these secret operations. You're testing these things out. So this wasn't being printed in the newspapers that at Vandenberg Air Force Base, no. Big Sur, they were, they were doing this missile test.
1: Nobody knew about what happened, and you're about to hear from... This guy, Robert Jacobs, and his job, as Stephen said, was to photograph the ICBMs during launch. I mean, that was his gig.
0: Right. I was the officer in charge of optical instrumentation at Vandenberg Air Force Base in the 1369th Photo Squadron. And as such, it was my duty to supervise the instrumentation photography of every missile that went down the Western Test Range. In those days, we called them ICBMs, inter-county ballistic missiles, because most of them blew up on launch. And our job was to determine why they blew up, to provide oh. the engineers uh, good enough en- engineering sequential photography so that they could see what was wrong with, with the bird as it took off in flight. What we photographed up there affected me for the rest of my life and made a huge impact on my understanding of the universe and of governmental manipulation of, of our minds. Mm that's a big statement
1: <laughs> oh so he calls it an inter-county ballistic missile but now they're intercontinental i guess right. it, it advanced a lot yes. since the 60s yeah um, but he earned a very prestigious badge like a boy scout badge hmm. he earned a missile badge
0: for my stunning achievement in finding a place where i could look back at vandenberg air force base from up north and for figuring out how to transmit the timing up there and for getting the the, the, the the thing set up, I was awarded the Air Force guided missile insignia. I was the first photographic officer in the Air Force to get the, they called it the missile badge, and it was a highly coveted uh, thing at the time.
1: Well, look at that. See, but that just goes to his reputation. I found it on eBay too. He's selling it for two hundred bucks. Oh, good. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Put in a bid.
1: Uh, but there was a cover up, and he was part of it, and he's kind of pissed now because he was told to be quiet about it for eighteen years. Yeah. And then, um. Apparently, they were testing these. Well, things blow up on the pad. Why do things blow up on the pad? He's like taking pictures. Well, because someone screwed up, right? Sure. Sure. The it screw was... up fairy showed up. Yes. But these were dummy missiles. They're like the ones that carry nuclear warheads, but they were the dummies. And this was in 1964. And that he was saying initially when they shot this thing off it looked like a successful launch right here he is we
0: weren't launching real nuclear weapons we were launching dummy warheads they were the exact size shape and dimension and weight of a nuclear warhead it was definitely in 1964 because uh, florence mansman confirmed that and he knew he had written it down and, and knew the exact date of it they counted down the missile we heard engine ignition liftoff we knew the missile was underway and we were looking down south um, Southwest, and the missile popped up through the fog it was just beautiful and I hollered there it is and our guys on our M45 tracking mount with 180 inch lenses on it got it and the big BU telescope swung over and got it and we followed the thing and sure enough we could see all three stages of powered flight as they burned out and dropped away and then of course to our naked eye all we saw was a smoke trail going off into subspace as it headed off toward its target which was Aniwetok Island Aniwetok Atoll so we whoopied and shouted and heard the film wrap-off in the in the, the the BU telescope and figured, well, that was our first big deal and we got it.
1: But did they?
2: Aha. Uh-huh. And this is where things go uh, a little awry because...
1: Because yeah, of the naked eye, everything looked fine, right? Right. Okay. But like a couple of days later... He gets called into the big guy's office.
2: Yes. And you never want to get called into that office. Uh -uh. He
1: walks in. He's like, huh, what's going on here? Because there's like men in black, but they're really men in gray because they're wearing gray suits. Yes. And there was some discrepancy in terms of there were two or three of them. And were they CIA? He said, no, they weren't CIA. But anyway, they're in the office. And he's in the room with the big wigs. It's a major and a couple of these guys in gray suits. They're civilians. And he said, this is unusual. Mm. And they had him watch a portion of the film from the launch. I was going to say tape, but it's film. Because back then it was film at 11. Yeah, that's right. All right. And here's what he saw.
0: I walked into his office and they had a a screen and a 16 millimeter projector set up. There was a couch um, and major management said, sit down. And there were two guys, as I recall, two guys in gray suits civilian clothes which was fairly unusual um and uh, major advancement said watch this and turned on the film projector and i watched the screen and there was the launch from the day or two before it at, at, uh, at big sur it was quite exciting because of the length of the, of the telescope as the atlas missile entered the frame we could see the, the whole third stage which is which has two uh, rocket nozzles like this and one in the center, a gimbaled one in the center, fill in our frame from about 160 miles. That was pretty exciting optics. We watched that stage burn out, we watched the second stage burn out, we watched the third stage burn out, and into the frame came something else. It flew into the frame like this, and it shot a beam of light Mm -hmm. at the warhead, which is represented by my thumb here. Mm -hmm. Now, remember, all this stuff is flying at several thousand miles an hour. So this thing fires a beam of light at the warhead, hits it, and then this thing flies up like this, meanwhile we're all going like this, fires another beam of light, goes around like this, we're going like this, fires another beam of light, goes down like this, fires another beam of light, and then flies out the way it came in. And the warhead tumbles out of the, out of space. So imagine now, I this. saw that. Oh,
2: sorry, Robert.
0: I don't give a damn what anybody else says about it. I saw that on film. Phil Klask and Kiss he wasn't there. I was.
2: And now he mentions, he mentions the pissed. guy. Yeah, he is. He mentions Phil Class, And Phil Class is somebody who has refuted before, at least tried to refute, basically call Robert Jacobs, retired you know, lieutenant from the Air Force, um, a crackpot, a crazy person saying that he's lying. He doesn't understand why he's making this story up. Now, you listen to that story from the retired lieutenant there, Robert Jacobs, and think to yourself, think about the detail he gave. Think about, I mean, he, that was. I believe was, him. It sounds very credible. It sounds believable. If you are making up a story, there's usually a lot of ums, ahs, yeah, no, no. pauses, trying, and it doesn't make a lot of sense because you're trying in your head to piece uh, together a story that you're making up, you're fabricating as you're going along. Does that sound like something that was being fabricated as he was going along?
1: No, and plus he used the word gimbal.
2: <laughs> that's, well, there's...
1: <laughs> but he reminds me of the guy <laughs> that's that always had his a bonus. Finger shot off.
2: Oh, Philip Schneider. Philip Schneider,
1: same thing. Yes, sounds so believable.
2: Right. When you, for me, whenever I hear an eyewitness account, especially someone in, of that stature, a retired lieutenant from the Air Force, when they can give details, here's what I saw, here's what the weather was like, here's what the other people around me were saying, I was excited because of this one thing happening. Those are all right. actual recollections from the memory. He's he's. Playing off of the emotion that he felt in that moment, and so, the story
1: stays the same. If you if you want right. to try to remember what you said before, you you can't. It's very difficult.
2: It is right. It's hard to keep that story together. So imagine what he's saying there. Kind of paint the picture for you here, because I know it's kind of tough to make out when he's talking. It was more of a visual from what he was saying. But imagine yeah, his this thumb. Right. We can't see your thumb, Robert. So imagine <laughs> this it's missile radio. going off, <laughs> and. Again, traveling at thousands of miles, miles per hour. So you have to have a craft that is now capable of zooming in out of nowhere and being able to hover and move around at the same speed if not faster than this missile is moving.
1: At 14,000 miles an hour.
2: Correct. And to be able to to shoot a beam of light, whatever that beam of light is, again, going back to uh, Philip Schneider, referencing the Dulce Base Wars, which was one of our earliest episodes. If you want to go back and listen to that, he mentions from the Dulce Base in New Mexico where the aliens shot a beam of light at him. Right. So now. It took his fingers off. Right. Oh, it that,
1: opened him up in the middle. Yeah.
2: Yes. And that was in the late 70s, I believe. And now we're here we're talking 1964. So. If you're if we're just going based off of the eyewitness account and his story Robert Jacobs that is of going into the the bigwig's office and saying what do you see here in this video obviously they're trying to figure out what is this thing flying over is this Russians or something else no. in 1964 that is shooting beams of light at a moving missile going you know 10,000 miles per hour it's unbelievable moving it is. all around the missile three different times shooting beams of light at different locations of the missile
1: in fact the major to your point Says to
0: Jacobs, were you guys goofing off right. during the launch? Now, when the lights came on, Major Mansman turned around and looked at me and said, were you guys screwing around up there? And I said, no, sir. And he said, what was that? And I said, it looks to me like we got a UFO. Uh-oh. Now, the thing that we saw, this object that flew in was circular, was shaped like a two saucers cupped like this with a ping-pong ball on top the beam of light came out of the ping-pong ball i've seen pictures that's what i saw on film now major mansman said to me he said you are never to speak of this again Uh as far as you're concerned this never happened Mm. so i started for the door he said wait a minute he said years from now if you're ever forced by someone to talk about this you are to tell them it was laser strikes laser tracking strikes Well, in 1964, we didn't have any laser tracking strikes. We didn't have any laser tracking at all. Lasers were in in their infancy in 1964. They were little playthings in laboratories. So I said, yes, sir, and walked out, and that was the last I talked about it for 18 years. There you go. (laughs)
1: Well, he says it wasn't a laser. He thinks it was plasma. And he goes, everything, like you were saying, was traveling really, really, really fast. Right. And humans cannot travel that fast. No. Because we can't withstand the Gs. This is what he was saying about the speed of the ufo
0: the object the points of light that we saw the warhead and so forth were traveling through subspace about 60 miles straight up and they were going somewhere in the neighborhood of 11 to 14,000 miles an hour Mm. when this thing caught up to them flew in flew around them went like this and flew back out it was saucer shaped it was circular and rounded on the top and bottom and it had a little dome in the right straight in the center of it from which this beam emitted
2: so, really, your classic description yeah. of a flying saucer. We've all seen
1: drawings of that.
2: Right. And we'll have the picture up of this yes. uh, Vandenberg Air Force Base incident up on the blog, the UAP blog, a 50 wftlcom You can see what uh, Robert Jacobs there is referring to.
1: But we don't have the film evidence. No,
2: no, because that's, uh, yeah.
1: What happened to that photographic evidence there, Diener? Mm, good question. Uh, the guys in gray suits apparently took it according to jacobs
0: what happened to the film is an interesting story in itself uh, as major mansman told me and other people they took the film and they spooled off the part that had the ufo on it and they took a pair of scissors and cut it off they put that on a separate reel they put it in their briefcase they handed major mansman back the rest of the film and said here i don't need to remind you major mansman of, this, of the uh, severity of a security breach We'll consider this uh, incident closed, and they walked off with the film.
2: <laughs> Just like that, and I've heard that story a yep. million times from different uh, circumstances. Now today is different. Same thing. Yeah, you,
1: you know, there's going to be some way. There's going to be copies. There's going it's going to be on a computer. You know what happens if it's on a computer? So it's been emailed to your mom,
2: right? Somewhere. <laughs>
1: they they had the same idea though that Shirley McLean did as to why would they? Why would this happen? Why would something target? an ICBM, even though it's a dummy, and this is what he said. And
0: I think that it's important for us as, as humans to, to come to terms, to grow up and recognize that we may not be the paragon of animals after all, that there may be something out there that's bigger and more exciting than we are, and that just maybe, just maybe, they're telling us something. What I saw that day was something shooting down a dummy nuclear warhead. What message would I interpret from that? Don't mess with nuclear warheads. Nah.
2: There you go, <laughs> and I can't say he's wrong. I mean, well, we can't say he's wrong because we don't know what's wrong and what's right. But it's no. that to me is a good working theory.
1: It is because look at all of the other areas that have nuclear warheads that, always that have type been targeted of yeah.
2: interference.
1: Um, but then let's move on to February twenty fifth, nineteen forty two. So we're going back almost twenty years. Yeah. This battle over Los Angeles. Remember, this was in the newspapers. There were photographs in newspapers about this.
2: That's right. This is a famous uh, happening that, you know, during World War II, now, keep in mind, The date here, February 25th, 1942. You're talking three months after Pearl Harbor. Right.
1: Oh, they thought we were under attack again.
2: Right. I mean, and there had been uh, reports of Japanese submarines uh, taking out different fields off the coast of California. So people of California, especially living on the coast, were very, very weary and had a heightened sense of really fear and tension. So when all of a sudden there is these reports that the Japanese might be attacking During the night. So you have all of these anti-aircraft guns come out and all the soldiers. Oh, yes.
1: There were 1,400 anti-aircraft rounds fired.
2: Well, somebody saw something.
1: To no avail, though.
2: (laughs) Right. And what ends up happening is, like you said... I mean, thousands of rounds ended up being fired. This really happened. It's in the newspapers. Again, we'll have up the picture from the actual yeah. uh, newspaper that d- that day.
1: I think they came out after that newspaper and they, they said it was a balloon. But 100,000 people witnessed it in the sky over Los Angeles. As we said, 1,400 anti-aircraft rounds were fired at this UFO to no avail.
0: Anti-aircraft guns went into action against unidentified aircraft in the Los Angeles area. Searchlights closely followed the object down the coast and kept it centered in their glare.
3: The shooting lasted for about half an hour and killed a couple of people. But the big thing is, they didn't knock a piece off of whatever it was that was up there.
0: Shells frequently could be seen bursting near the object, but none appeared to hit it. Hmm.
2: So again, you have witnesses say they saw something now. Was this hysteria? Was this just wartime, you in, know?
1: In Los Angeles. Yes. No wonder they interned the Japanese. They thought they were at war, you know, I here mean, in America. I, can Im-
2: I can't imagine. I mean totally different times back then. But so. their
1: their craft, the top air defenses in the United States could not intercept this thing. And so they said, Oh, it must have been a balloon.
2: And that's and that was the working theory then. So Again, one of those unidentified, unexplained things going back, you know, eighty years. What did they see over this guy's Los Angeles that night, February twenty fifth, nineteen forty two? What were they shooting at? Was it was it anything? Was it a balloon? Was that somebody just thought they saw something because they were so heightened and, and there was just wartime well, hysteria? If
1: you fire an anti aircraft round at a balloon, I think it's going to hit. It's it. going
2: to pop. Yeah. So, but there's there's no remains of anything. No. Whatever they saw, people say they saw some type of flying disc in the air. That caused these soldiers to start shooting. And to this day, they don't know what they saw and there's nothing recovered.
1: But it was the first headlining event of an object in the sky, really, that you know made the news and, and really kind of stirred up yeah. the discussion.
2: Could you imagine, I, though, my Noah. gosh, thinking that you're under attack Noah. and you're, you're watching the army and military shoot at the sky, not knowing what they're shooting at over Los Angeles? My gosh. You
1: had War of the Worlds. That was on the radio. But this yeah. is visual. This is happening. Right. Uh, Then in 2004, an American fighter plane from the USS Nimitz, as we referred to earlier, Mm -hmm. uh, an aircraft carrier stationed off the coast of San Diego at the time, engaged with a UFO over the open ocean.
2: Now, this is one of the stories. Well, actually, this is the story, Karen, that started the podcast, really. Yes. It's because of this story, because of what happened on the Nimitz in 2004, that led to the congressional hearings, that led to the release of all these documents that we saw a few months ago, where... They had to admit, the U.S. government had to admit that, yeah, there's UFOs out there, we don't know what they are, who's controlling them, so have at it, because here's all these happenings, here's all these things we can't explain, and all these you know declassified documents that came out with basically admitting that UFOs are out there.
1: That's right. And well, it all I mean, happened because of this. This is a $15 billion aircraft carrier with state-of-the-art radar systems, so mm-hmm. there's photographic evidence on official DOD video. Right, You cannot refute this.
2: That's right. And this is the one that you probably saw because we've mentioned this story a lot during the podcast on different episodes because it is, again, like kind of the genesis of of this whole thing.
1: It's the first domino.
2: It is. It is. And it occurred to us that we actually haven't really covered the story because we've just referenced it and you probably know it by now because it's been on the Today Show. It's been on Good Morning America. It's been on every national news outlet. And I'm sure you've seen the video of the tic-tac-shaped UFO, UAP, that the fighter pilots were chasing. Right. And it outruns them, and it goes into the water and all these crazy oh, different yeah. things.
1: That is so weird. Here's here's the eyewitness.
2: We went out there primarily to do individual ship training.
4: I started noticing these really anomalous tracks, unlike nothing I'd ever seen before. And these objects were coming into my radar coverage. There was probably 10 objects in the sky. In the back of my mind, I was thinking, I want to intercept one of these things. <laughs> And so I launched an intercept aircraft. He started making the approach to this object, and that's when everything changed. Well, this thing did a barrel roll around his aircraft. Then he went straight down to the surface of the ocean. He went following it down. And as soon as he went like that, this thing popped straight back out of the water, back up to 28,000 feet. And it didn't make a sound. No, completely quiet. You know, something going that fast, it's going to sound like boom, 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 boom. It's going to have a whole bunch of sonic booms. No sonic booms.
1: How does that happen?
2: That's the most amazing thing is the technology of whatever this craft is, was how do you make a technology where you basically avoid sonic booms? I mean, you are breaking the speed of sound, like he said, multiple times, yet you aren't hearing any type of sound. There's no propulsion. There's there's no trail of anything. No. It's just flying through the sky.
1: And you know, a tic tac is not very aerodynamic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, when you throw one in a movie theater, it also makes a sound when it passes by your head. It does, yes. But um, I mean, this talk us through the technology that they witnessed. If you can imagine
4: a forty-seven foot long tic tac, they didn't have any wings. They didn't have any propulsion 47. system. Wow. They could travel, travel from point A to point B in a matter of a second, even though it was miles and miles and miles away. And if anything mm-hmm. biological would have been in that thing, given uh, Newtonian physics, classical physics, it would have turned you into mush. There's no way you could withstand that type of G-force. I think the human body can withstand about eight Gs. This thing had 1,350 Gs. Oh. You'd have been paced.
2: And that's what we always like to do here on the podcast is give you credible witnesses, give you people who know what they're talking about. They've been in the scenario like, you know, the retired Lieutenant uh, Robert Jacobs from the Vandenberg Air Force Base, like these people talking from the Nimitz. These are the people, the he pilots. He was a pilot. He was right. there. So they know exactly what they're seeing and what's possible, what's capable as far as av- avionics go. So, I mean, you hear it right there. You're mush. You're turning, right. you're turning to mashed potatoes. So... Whatever was flying, whether someone was in there, whether it was a drone, but it's technology that is way beyond anything that we have, as far as we know, or anybody well, else How does has. it go
1: into the ocean and come back out and fly straight up and then hover, make no noise, and has no contrail?
2: Well, I'm glad you said that, Karen, because, um, again, these were all things that happened in California. The Nimitz was off of San Diego and everything. So
1: Crazy California.
2: Crazy California. A lot of wild things happening there throughout history, but that actually leads us into our next episode. Next week, next time on UAP, the Unidentified Alien podcast. It
1: doesn't get much better than this one.
2: This was wild. I mean, so many amazing stories good just out of California. Stuff. I but believe it. Good. Because next week, if you don't believe it yet, you might believe it then because we're going to talk about USOs and this really leads into <gasps> that. that. Uh, isn't what,
1: that a show that they put on during the war? It
2: was, but it also stands for, I'm not talking about Bob Hope, I'm talking uh, about Unidentified <laughs> Submerged Objects.
1: Oh, I thought, oh. Which is
2: essentially what this Tic Tac UFO was from the Nimitz diving into the water some underwater bases off the coast of California so still a lot going on a lot to get to when it comes to that whole subject and we're going to cover it all in episode 14 and the megalodons
1: and Jason Statham maybe
2: okay bonus can't coverage
1: wait, can't wait it's so exciting USOs next week yes make sure that you download us that you uh, subscribe give us five extraterrestrial stars do it You'll all find us on all the platforms
2: that's right Apple, Spotify or 850WFTL.com where we have all the previous episodes as well even a few oil platforms out in the Gulf yay wherever you can find your podcast that's where we are so until next time it's Karen Curtis over there Stephen Diener over here Good stuff today, and I can't wait to get to next week's episode about USOs. I do, I
1: do, I do believe.
2: (laughs) Talk to you again next time.